Grace, mercy, and peace to you this Christmas morning from God our Father and from our Savior Jesus who was born in Bethlehem for us. What would you compare the joy of Christmas to? We, we talk about it, we sing a hymn, Joy to the World. What would you say the joy of Christmas is like? As an American, I think my mind goes, first of all, to something like that, a, a fire burning in the fireplace, a tree with lights and presents underneath, the only thing missing from that is a couple of kids who come running in because it's about time to open the presents and there's a joy and excitement there uh, that you don't find really any other time of the year just to capture that moment of, uh, of joy. Or maybe for you it's a little more specific memory. Uh, for me, 16 years ago on Christmas Eve, I proposed my wife next to a tree full of lights and she said yes and that's a memory I'll always associate with, with Christmas. Maybe you have, have one like that too. Now today, from God's Word, we've got a passage from God's Word that's one of the most famous Christmas passages in the whole Bible from Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got a paper copy of the worship folder, open it up and follow along with me there. Otherwise, I'll, I'll put the key verses up on the screen. It too talks about joy. So in chapter 9, verse 3, it says this, You have, speaking of, of God, you have increased their joy. Uh, he increases the joy of his people. And then the very next verse, he compares that to something. He says, the joy, and it's the joy tied together with, with, with Christmas, the joy is, is like this. Verse 4 says, it's as in the day of Midian's defeat. Which, I don't know if that makes you jump up and down with joy this morning. <laughs> as Americans, that's probably one of the last things you would have had on your mind coming into church Let's compare Christmas with the day that Midian was defeated. In fact, you may have no idea what that's talking about at all. So let me this morning tell you the story about the day that Midian was defeated and then tie it back in with what Isaiah says and how that is like the joy, the joy of Christmas. So the story it's referring to goes back to the time of the judges. So after Moses led the people out of, out of Egypt, they came into the promised land under Joshua and for about a hundred years after that, there was a time of the judges. It was a time when there wasn't central leadership. Uh, overall, things religiously and, and politically were just a mess. And the people kept going away from God, and God would allow foreign nations to come in and oppress his people. Not because he liked to see the, the suffering that caused, but because this was the way that the people would then turn back to him. And during that time, one of the nations God allowed to come and oppress his people were the people of Midian. So here's a map for where that is. So it's, it's down toward the bottom. Today it would be in Saudi Arabia. It's it, the peoples who lived off in the desert areas to the south and to the east of Israel. And what was different about this one is they didn't come in and occupy the country year-round. I think we think of, of that today, that, that you'll have a country that will invade another country, this was different. They were raiders. So what they would do is they'd time it just for harvest time, and they'd have a huge force of people. The book of Judges said it was like 135,000 people come in in an army at harvest time. It compares them to locusts, you know, those bugs that come and eat everything and then leave? So they'd bring their army in and just strip everything they could, everything that the people of Israel needed to eat for the next year at harvest time, and they would take it all and they would leave. And they did that again and again and again. Seven years 
they came and stole all the crops at harvest time. Can you imagine that? I suppose the first year the Israelites maybe got by okay, but then as the years dragged on, it was a matter of they were living just on whatever they could, could, could scrape by. The book of Judges said the only thing they could do was to try to fortify caves, and they would leave their houses behind at harvest time, and they'd go live in these caves just leave it open for the Midianites to come and steal everything. Because there's no way that they could muster up the kind of military response it would take to counter an army of 130-some thousand people that would come once a year. So can you imagine living like that? I mean, why plant your crops at all if they're just going to get stolen at harvest time? Because otherwise you're going to starve. Why even have a flock of sheep if other people are going to come and, and steal the sheep because the only other option would just be to roll over and die and give up. And the people hadn't done that yet, but this had been seven years of the Midianites coming year after year and just devastating and plundering everything. And like I said before, the reason wasn't for the suffering. It was God was calling his people to repentance. And so the people of Israel did call out to God and God listened and he sent a man named Gideon to come and rescue his people. Now, Gideon was the last one you'd expect. He was, he was a coward. He didn't actually want to fight. Uh, here's zooming in on, on the battle that happened. So the Midianites and the people with them, they're the orange coming in. Uh, Gideon assembled an army that's the purple of the best he could get from all the Israelites. It was 10,000 people against like 130,000 people. But God said to Gideon, that's actually too many, you're 10,000. And God whittled it down, so Gideon fought the battle with only 300 Israelites against an army of like 130,000. So that's that little green arrow, if you can see that. There was a night when Gideon took those 300 men and God destroyed the entire Midianite army. Like 120,000 of them overnight, and then the other 15,000 ran away back on that orange line. But Gideon was able to chase them down and rout them, not maybe kill all of them, but many more of them. And the two leaders who had been in charge of just pillaging Israel year after year, they caught both of them and executed them. And so this wasn't like a, we kind of won a small victory type battle. It was God allowed them to completely destroy the Midianites so that sometimes in the Bible there's a nation that keeps popping up, they keep fighting against Israel, but Never again in the Bible did the Midianites ever attack the Israelites and, 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 and do this to them again. It was the final battle against, against them. Uh, and so Isaiah says, when you're picking something, how would you describe the joy of Christmas? It's like the day that the Midianites were defeated. To have that kind of joy, you would have to know the depths of despair and hopelessness the day before, and then have it completely flip overnight. I don't know that I've ever experienced anything like that in my whole life. Even the wars that, that we fight in our country, many of them lately, have not had a decisive, here is the day of victory. Korean War, Vietnam, Af Afghanistan, Iraq, none of them have had a victory day like that. I suppose, if you think of our American consciousness, it'd go back to the end of World War II. Uh, these are pictures from VJ Day in New York City. And just the crowd of people who were packed together there and then that iconic picture of uh, that kiss, of just the joy of, of everything being finished and over and done for good on that 
they were not talking about the way they felt two weeks later. We're talking about the joy of that one, one day. Uh, and maybe then you can start to imagine for yourself what that joy would be like, but now if we go back to Isaiah chapter 9, again, if you've got a paper copy, pull it out. Otherwise, let me put it back on the screen. You heard it before, but let me go through it verse by verse, and I want you to think through what the joy would be like for people on the day of Midian's defeat. So going back, here's the verse verse we had is verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This ties in with what came before. Picturing this world as a very dark place, and Jesus Christ is the light of the world who comes into that. Verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So when I described the whole you know, a day of victory flip from total hopelessness to, to, to the victory, maybe you had some ideas in mind of what, what the joy would be like. Here's the first one that Isaiah mentions. It's the joy of all of a sudden having more than you ever dreamed of dumped in your lap. Not only was this, this harvest time, it was the first time now in seven years when the Israelites could go out and harvest their crops knowing they were going to actually eat it. <laughs> Can you imagine the joy of harvesting your field after, after that, day of, that day of victory? And on top of that, the, the last line mentions the plunder. So this army of 135,000 people, they had all their military gear and provisions and stuff in a camp, and all of that was abandoned after the battle. So not only do the people have all this food to eat that, that they planted themselves, now they've got the plunder of this huge military camp that all the people had that they hadn't expected coming. You, you talk about Christmas and the joy of opening some presents. How about that? Uh, when those soldiers brought home who knows what uh, and a family that had been in poverty for seven years all of a sudden had all the plunder. So that's the first one. That's the joy in verse 3. Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. The joy of having oppression over and, and done for good. Uh, the picture is there. I've, I've never experienced having a yoke on my shoulder, being in the kind of slavery where I am hitched up like an animal to do manual labor. But could you imagine the day that that slave has the yoke taken off of them and they are... They are free. I don't know. I've, I've never been beaten in my life. Um, I know some of you probably know what it's like to be abused and the emotional and physical scars that can last a lifetime after that. Isaiah says, think of the joy of someone where the rod is taken out of the hand of the person who is beating them. Never again will that happen to you. Uh, the joy of oppression that's ended. Next verse. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. This is one maybe I hadn't imagined, but year after year, if there's going to be a battle that happens, can you imagine that in every Israelite's house, maybe in a corner or out of sight somewhere, would have been a pile of bloody military gear? Whose blood is on it? Maybe the Midianites' blood. Maybe it's the blood of their own sons who died the year before. Uh, and you, how hideous would that be to have to have that in your house? 
But then, overnight, the whole Midianite army is defeated, and there is no more need to keep that stuff. And so now it's the joy of having a good fire. <laughs> not, not just that you like a campfire or stoking up a barbecue to cook, the, the fire of burning the stuff that you loathe because there's no reason to keep that anymore. That day of victory put an end to all of that. That is, that is over. That is done. Isaiah says, the joy on the day of Midian's defeat, that's like the joy of, of Christmas. And so as you look at your own heart today, have you and I forgotten? Have you forgotten where we would be and what it would be like if there, if there were no Christmas? How hopeless it would be if all you, it was you against the devil and year after year he could accuse you of your guilt and there was nothing that you could do about it. If in a year of a lot of trouble and COVID and a lot of people afraid of death, if there is nothing after this to look ahead to, uh, and even worse than that, if, if you'd be looking ahead to standing before God for judgment with no Savior, how horrible would that be to go through life every day living like, like that? But that's not where God left us. And the reason this passage gets read at Christmas time is for what comes right after this. So that's verse 5. Here is verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The promise of the birth of a child who is going to be a whole lot more than just a human baby like you and I when, when we were born. The promise that really no one, even the greatest leaders in the world, have never been able to shoulder the whole responsibility of being the leader that everyone looks for. That little baby can shoulder that himself. Because look at those names he has. That, that, that baby is, is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, which would be blasphemy to say that about any just human being because there is only one God. And that that little baby who would be born, he is the mighty God himself. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of, of peace. And not only does he have names like that, look at the things he's going to do. Here's the next verse, verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Even at the time of Midian's defeat, Gideon, there was a peace for something like 40 years, and then they went right back in that cycle of another country came in and oppressed them again. But with this child who's born for us, his peace, his ruling will never, ever end. Next part of that verse. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And not all that happened on Christmas. You know that there are things that happened after that. That little baby grew up for you. He lived his life for you. And he died on a cross for you and took away all your sins and he rose from the dead on Easter and he ascended to heaven and he now is ruling and reigning over, over everything. And his rule will never, ever end. And there's one little bit. The last part of that verse is this. 
the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Salvation is not something you have to do. It's not about shaping up your life or, or being a better person. It's, it's entirely a gift of God's grace. Uh, and just like, again, the day of Midian's defeat, could the Israelites say, hey, look at how we defeated an army of 135,000 with just 300? No. That was entirely God stepping in in his grace and overnight flipping it around and delivering his people. And the promise at the end is, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, the, the promise of salvation for a whole world, including you and me. And so today on Christmas, I'm praying that you have, you have a joy. Joy that comes from being together with family, of eating really good food, of maybe opening up some gifts and getting exactly what you were hoping for this year. But I'm also hoping you have a joy that is bigger than that and goes beyond all of that because it could be, especially this year, some of those might be missing. And even if those are, are partial or don't live up to everything you dreamed of, you have this as your joy. That just like in the day of Midian's defeat, God completely changed the fortune of his people and from hopelessness to joy, from despair to, to knowing that they were safe, God did that for us on Christmas. You have a Savior who's been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's now all rise and confess our faith. Actually, before we confess our faith, let's sing one more of these great Christmas hymns, the hymn, Now Sing We Now Rejoice, hymn number 34.